Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of Bible Boys. We are back. We are back. Uh, my name is Pip. Uh, we are back for another season. And what season are we up to, James? We're up to season six, I believe. Season six. I'm almost up to season six on The Office. Um, oh. Season five of The Office right now. But it's, it's almost season six uh, in The Office. But it is season six of The Bible Boys. Very cool. Very cool. Um, we are in lockdown, which is unfortunate. Um, we, I was only thinking it was going to be one week of lockdown. So I was thinking I could get away with just, you know, uh, going a bit cruisy at college and just watching TV <laughs> in the background and all that sort of stuff. But now that I know that there's another two weeks of lockdown, it's time to switch it into gear mm. and, and get cracking on some things. You got you know? to rein it in, Mr. Witheridge. That's it. I got to rein myself in. Got to be disciplined. That's right. Um, how do you, how do you go in lockdown? Do you you know become a different person? Do you evolve, do you like turn into a monster, mm. or or are you pretty much yourself in lockdown? I think I'm pretty much myself to be honest. And the last two weeks, Viv and I were on leave, and so we had planned to you know go to the Blue Mountains for a few days and then um, go to Adelaide for a week, but no, none of that happened. So stayed home, staycation, and to be honest, I found it so refreshing. Um, we went out for some walks, but, you know, watched TV, read some books, 100%ed some games. Oh. It was really, really good. Um, I, I felt like it was a restful time. Nice. That's great. That's good. Yep. Yep. Good to be able How to get away. How about you, though? We had plans to go away on holidays uh, with some old St. Paul's church friends up to uh, Blackheath, but we could not do that. We uh we missed out on that. So, um, but I have been enjoying the sights and sounds of Parramatta. Mm. Um, walking down the river, walking back up the river, uh, and that's about that's about the extent of it. <laughs> you sound like uh, you know a very serene um, retiree who's uh, enjoying the the flow of the local scenery. This is what I imagine retirement to be like. Uh, it's like. <laughs> You know, logging on to play Call of Duty at eight o'clock, waking up. Anyway, so, hey, um, but yeah. you started college this week. For yeah, three like semester two, term three. How's that gone with you trying to you know take it easy this week? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's difficult doing online learning. So um, some classes I'll just turn my video off because I'm like, you know what, I I cannot face the side of myself on <laughs> on Microsoft Teams, okay? My double chin, I can't keep looking at it. And so, turn the video off sometimes. Um, You're one of those people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this morning, I, I slept in a bit late and missed the first 10 minutes of a um, lecture, which was unfortunate. Um, yes. So, look, to be honest, I do, I do need to rein it in a bit. <laughs> Good. Now, um, we're the Bible Boys. We are the Bible Boys. And I would be remiss if we did not talk about the Bible. Mm. And so what I'd like to do, James, is I'd like to check in with you and see how have you been going in terms of uh, Bible reading? What have you been reading uh, lately? Yeah, great. Now, thanks for asking. We are the Bible Boys, and we do want to get straight into the Bible. Well, um, this term, um, we at... St. Paul is going to spend six weeks in the book of Joel. And originally, pre-lockdown, I was uh, gearing up to preach uh, five of the six sermons. And so just here on my sort of study table, you can see I sort of have my if you, uh, video watches. You can see I've got my uh, manuscript and I was doing, you know, my work in the text and everything like that. Um, it's been really, really good getting into Joel. But one of the things I wanted to share today is uh, an interesting theory and then a particular insight about the book of Joel. So we'll have to open up to the book of Joel. If you've got your Bibles there, listeners, you should you should flip open to the book of Joel. I was about to say, if you're driving, uh, don't flip open, but mm. I I think that's a given. Pip, I don't think we need to clarify that for our uh, illustrious listeners. No, I, I don't think we do, but it's a good, uh, it's a good P- PSA. Just be safe. <laughs> Very good. 
So let me share um, uh, the, the theory uh, first. So um, Joel is the second in the last 12 books of the Old Testament, uh, a section we call or know as the Minor Prophets. Uh, they're not minor because they sing in a particular tone. Uh, they're not minor because they're not that important. They're just minor because they're, they're called minor because they're shorter than the major prophets. Um, and interestingly, when you look at sort of the order of the books, it's, it's not very clear that they're chronological. Um, it's not very clear that um, there's a particular, um, you know, easy logical progression that goes between them in terms of time. Um, but there's a theory that sort of is present in biblical scholarship that I encountered while preparing in the book of Joel that sort of sees Joel uh, and the placement of the, all of the 12 books of the Minor Prophets um, very deliberately, mm. that it's not random at all. There's actually a very deliberate placement uh, between them. Have you ever encountered this before, Pip? Um, I don't know exactly what you're referring to, but Soph did tell me the other day um, about the Tanakh and how uh, because they weren't books collated, they were scrolls, you know, kept in the temple. And she, and she said um, they would have a, a mark or they'd put some kind of a sentence or something to link the books together. And so some sometimes you can see there's a theory, like if you look at the end of um, uh, Malachi... There's a, it's a very similar kind of wording to what you find at the beginning of Joshua. And so it's supposed to like close the loop of Joshua to Malachi. Mm. Um, anyway, that's yeah. beside. But what, what are you saying about the, the deliberate ordering of the, the books? Yeah, well, what you're saying there in terms of like Old Testament callbacks, that's just littered throughout all of the prophets for sure. Mm. So, you know, even in the book of Joel, you're, you're like, oh, wait a second, that's from Exodus. Oh, oh wait, that there's a reference to Deuteronomy. Oh, that's. You're just seeing all these references here, there, and everywhere. Um, one of the things that's really interesting um, is that, so you've got Hosea, which is the first book uh, in the Minor Prophets, um, and Hosea has this big emphasis on the sin of, of God's people uh, is that they have been an unfaithful people to God. And so Hosea sort of brings up this idea of, um, Israel as an unfaithful spouse uh, to, to the groom who is, uh, or to the husband who is God. Um, and it's sort of this idea of return to me, return to me. Then you've got Amos, which comes after Joel. And Amos um, has this big emphasis on the injustices that are wrought um, by God's people. Um, and so uh, you've got, you know, Hosea, a uh, big emphasis on the unfaithfulness of God's people. Um, and then you've got Amos, the injustices wrought by God's people. Then you've got Joel, and there's all this um, judgment language. Um, but there aren't any specific sins that are listed. It's, it's, it's rather um, devoid of, of any particular emphasis on what is it that God's people have done wrong. Mm. Uh, but there seems to be some sort of a connection. You see a few connections between Hosea and to Joel, and then Joel into Amos. So let me show this, right? Um, so first of all, in Hosea chapter 14, um, uh, towards the very end of the book, you'll notice that there's these references uh, in verse 6. Um, there's this future hope for, for God's people. So verse 6 from uh, the second part of it, it goes, uh, His splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like the cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Uh, Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Okay, so there's this future hope that God's people get at the end of Hosea. And you'll notice that there are these three sorts of um, three things that sort of come up. The, the olive tree, which is where oil would have been gone from. Mm. You've got the grain, verse 7. And you've got vine, verse 7 as well. Oh, mm. Wine, rather. Um, vine and wine, because the wine comes from the vine. There you go. So you've got oil, grain, and wine. Then you come to chapter 1 of Joel. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice that in uh, Joel chapter 1, um, you take a look at verse 11 and 12. Um, there's been this huge locust swarm that have just taken over uh, the land. 
and the farmers are called to despair. So Joel chapter 1, verse 11, despair, you farmers, wail, you vine growers, grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up, the fig tree is withered, and so on and so forth. Mm. The vine is destroyed. You've got the wheat and the barley, like and the grain, right? Um, and then uh, going on into like the rest of the book, you actually see those three things again: uh, oil, wine, and uh, um, the grain, all being sort of like destroyed. But then in the book of Joel, it's restored as well. So there seems to be this connection between Hosea into Joel. Mm. Also, more connections between Joel to Amos. But before I go there, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's super interesting. Um, whenever there's like a, a connection like that, I do sometimes wonder, it's like, is that uh, on purpose or not? Do you know what I mean? Because I'm just thinking wine, grain, oil, they're like the three things they had back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if they're going to be, you know, happy that something's there, it's going to be those three things. You know, if they're going to be <laughs> sad that something's not there, it's going to be grain, it's going to be wine. Um so I think it's a, it's an interesting connection. Uh, you know, in terms of like cr- critiquing that connection, I'm still qu- I'm wondering, is that something purposeful? Are, are we meant to get that? You know, were the original readers supposed to get that kind of thing? Which I don't know how you find the answer to that, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's an, in, it's a good thought there. It's like when someone goes, "There's a there's a um, you know, uh, like in poems, how you got the chiasm, you know, A B C C B C B A." It's like mm. You can look for chiasms everywhere in the Bible. Was it was it actually deliberate, that sort of thing? Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things, though, on that in the book of Joel is that it does come up again and again and again, the wine, the grain, and the oil. Like, So one example is Joel chapter 2, verse 19. The Lord replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to fully satisfy you. Um, mm. It goes on, and then it comes up again in chapter 3 as well. And... What I'm doing right now in my own Bible reading is I'm reading through the Minor Prophets again. And I'm just seeing more and more how Joel does have this specific emphasis on the land and the, the blessings of the land um, as compared to uh, some of the other books mm. present. Um, let me get to the Amos one. This one will be quicker. Um, it does seem like there are, uh, like the, the first chapter of Amos and the last chapter of Amos draw directly from the third chapter of Joel. Okay. So Joel chapter 3, you've got um, uh, in verse uh, 16, the Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. You get to Amos chapter 1, verse 2, he said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. It's exactly the same uh, language. Mm. Joel has this like future tense to it. Amos has this like present tense. Then you get to uh, like Joel chapter 3, verse 18. So you know, just a few verses after 16. It says, In that day, the, the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All right. So mountains drip with new wine, the hills flow with milk. You go to the last chapter of Amos, and in Amos chapter 9, verse, where is it? Oh, where are you? Oh, wait, I was in Obadiah just then. That's why I couldn't find it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, where is this? Okay, Amos 9, uh, verse 13, uh, second half of the verse, new wine will flow from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Mm. So... It's interesting, isn't it? It's a theory. It's a theory that, like, the placement here is very deliberate. Um, it does seem to be that Joel flows into Amos. Um, now, um, what do you make of that? Now, just a, a very simple thing to say. It, I don't think it's. I don't think you could say that, um, like, you know, Hosea, Joel, Amos, when they were writing, they all knew about each other. Like, I don't think we could say that. Um, but it does seem like there is this sort of thematic flow that's going on and at the very least for joel we see judgment in joel we see restoration in joel we see we see curses 
We don't know why, but there's a sense in which Joel speaks in very universal terms about God's judgment, mm. about the wrath of God, but also the blessing of God, and also the, how pivotal the relationship for Israel was between God's land and God's people and God's blessing. Um, now, in terms of what was going on, maybe Hosea and Amos being on either side helps us understand a bit that they were unfaithful to God and they were committing injustices in the land. Um, but what Joel actually does is it helps us understand Hosea and Amos as well, uh, speaking about the judgment of God and speaking about the restoration of God. And it just gives us all insight into what God is like uh, and also how great uh, the future blessings are. And what I say quickly on this is that it also helps us learn more about the day of the Lord, uh, which is a big theme in Joel as well, which also carries through um, a bunch of the minor prophets. So that's just some stuff that I've been reading um, uh, while I'm here. And, and I weaved in my insight in, in the book of Joel, which is that land is really, really important in Joel. Like it is so important, which makes sense because the locusts in chapter one, like, completely wiped out the produce of the land. The people would have been devastated. Um, and I think that that's a particular insight of Joel that we get as well. Mm. The word vomit there. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's good. Um, I'm just thinking like, um, you know, where, where does Joel come up in the New Testament? Mm. I know that it's quoted in um, Acts Two about mm-hmm. yeah the um the pouring out of the spirit yes that's right or, or is that Acts one um uh, Acts chapter two day of Pentecost uh, when Peter's preaching about what's actually happening with the coming of the Holy Spirit yeah yeah the the, the end of Joel chapter two uh, where uh, God prof- uh, God says that He will pour out His Spirit on all people mm. um another place it shows up is um Romans ten mm-hmm. um. In Romans 10, um, uh, there's that part where, um, you know, um, in verse 14, you got, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Well, right before that, in verse 13, um, well, I'll read from verse 12. So Romans 10, verses 12 to 13, Paul writes, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mm. And that line that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved is from Joel chapter 2. Yeah, yeah. Um, so was there a particular thought or question that you had? Uh, I was just kind of thinking like if, if um, you know, if the New Testament writers say this, this bit of Joel is to do with this t- period of history just after Jesus' resurrection, does that mean all of Joel finds its fulfilment in that particular time period? Um, yeah, uh, you know, different layers of fulfilment. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that it's interesting because there are at least five references to the day of the Lord in the book of Joel. And, like, one one commentator goes... Yeah, there are five different understandings of the day or five different fulfillments of the day of the Lord. Right. Or a lot of other people read Joel as saying like there are two particular fulfillments of the day of the Lord, one being the destruction that's going to come to the people on the land, uh, and the second one is ultimately in the death and resurrection um, of Jesus. But one of the things I find really interesting is that even in the New Testament, it seems like there are like three different ways of thinking about day of the Lord as well in the New Testament. One is the death and resurrection of Jesus. The second one is when Jesus returns. You get that in like 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. You get it in 2 Peter 3. But you might even say that Jesus' baptism, like when he shows up, how Elijah, like John Baptist, who was like Elijah, according to Malachi, um, chapter 4 and 3, is like he's heralding the day of the Lord coming and that Jesus' arrival um at the start of the Gospels, could also be seen as a day of the Lord. Mm. There could be multiple different things there. There are different theories on that. Mm. Interesting. 
one particular application insight I'll give before I ask you what it is that you've been reading um, is um, the emphasis in Joel on land and how the day of the Lord, which is this judgment on God's people in God's land because they have done something. Again, in Joel, it's unclear. It does speak to the fact that the fate of the land and the fate of the people are quite tied together. Mm. And the turning point in the book of Joel is Joel chapter 2, verse 18. Like the first half of the book, it's like, you know, curses and lamenting and destruction. And you're like, wow, things are really dire here, not just for the people, but for the land. Then you get to chapter 2, verse 18, and this is the turning point. And this is so interesting, right? Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. Isn't that interesting? It's not mm. that the Lord was jealous for his people. It is, he was jealous for his land. Mm. Took pity on his people. And sort of the insight that I was thinking about here was I was reading this in light of 2 Peter chapter 3. Because in 2 Peter chapter 3, we know that one day Jesus will return and there will be this final day of the Lord judgment that will come with cataclysmic destruction um, and uh, restoration. And, and then the new heavens and the new earth will come. Here's my thought. In Joel, the judging of, the, of God's Jewish people came with the promise of the restoration of the Jewish land. In Jesus... The final judgment of all Jews and Gentiles, the whole world, comes with the restoration of the whole world as new creation. There does seem to be that the fate of the people and the fate of the land are super tied together. Which mm. thinking about places like Romans 8 when it says that because of sin, because of our all of our sin, that the whole creation is held in bondage and subjected to futility right now. That the and so the fate of the whole world, the fate of the land, is tied to the fate of God's people. Well, to the fate of all people, really. That's um, specifically how Romans 8 says that the creation awaits the, the, the revealing of the sons of God. Um, yeah, that connection, I think, I just don't think about it very much at all, land and, and people. Mm. Yeah, I, I do, like, I mean, there's something really, um, like, kind of literal about their survival being attached to the the prosperity of the land as well mm. um and that kind of that that kind of thing goes through different parts of the old testament as well you think of like joseph in egypt and his brothers coming down and you know the connection between famine and dispersion and um yeah yeah um yeah, just a just a thought, just a question on the um, the wine and the the grain and that kind of thing. Yes. Um, like, how like how does Jesus fit into um, the promises in Joel? Um, I'm I'm you know I'm wondering if it's appropriate to say like Jesus fulfills the kind of promise of new wine and new oil and uh, new grain. That you see um, in in like chapter chapter two, um, you know Jesus does call himself, uh, you know, the wine. You know, this is my this is my blood kind of thing. Um, is there is there any connection there to draw? Um, yeah, how does this point to Jesus? I think in a few ways. One of them is understanding that grain, wine, and oil are actually really significant in the temple, um, in the offerings of the priests. Uh, so there's this there's this theme in Joel that um, because the whole land has been devastated by the locusts, um, they ca- they can't give grain offerings and drink offerings anymore to God. So one part where that shows up is in uh, chapter 1, verse 13. So Joel chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. The offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. The grain offerings would have involved grain and oil being very simply mixed together and then offered. 
And then the drink offerings would have involved wine or fruit from the vine. And so part of the reason why the grain, the wine, and the oil is important is not just for survival. It's actually so that they can serve God rightly in the temple. Mm. And so this is why the pouring out of the spirit is so important because not only does God promise in Joel that he'll restore the grain and the wine and the oil, but after that he will pour out his spirit so, so that all of God's people can minister to him um, and minister for him, which actually I think you see this with Jesus, that Jesus actually fulfills for us in two ways. One, uh, it fulfills this in two ways. Number one, now we are restored to be able to serve God and worship God rightly. Um, through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, all of us are temples of the Holy Spirit. All of us um, can offer our whole lives as living sacrifices to God in service to him uh, rightly. We are not devoid of the ability to minister to God and, and, and minister for, for God, right? Mm. Secondly, there's that future new creation promise that, yeah, we will be in this abundant land where we will not lack anything. Mm. Um, I think those are two ways that you see fulfillment in Jesus in Joel. Yeah, nice. Nice. Anyway, there's a there's a whole lot there for me. You can see I'm very excited about job. Yeah. Unfortunately with lockdown I will not be preaching five of the sermons anymore. How many are you gonna preach? I'm gonna preach two of them. Okay. Which is great and it's a privilege and a joy to do that. But um I I was speaking to the team and I was saying, Yeah, you know, I think I should do less so I can focus more on youth um in lockdown. So I'm gonna be preaching through Titus um over the next few weeks for youth. Cool, nice. What about you, Pip? What have you been reading? Um, I've been reading through Genesis, like, uh, pretty slowly. Been reading through Genesis, taking my time with it, um, and just, like, uh, been thinking a lot about um, Abraham. And, you know, he's obviously a model of faith. Um, But, yeah, I just wanted to share um, a couple of passages where where God kind of says, this this is your end of the bargain to Abraham. And I guess two two questions that I want to ask you, James, like as we read these, just for you to, th- uh, you know, have a think about. The first question that I've been wrestling with is, um, what what is the ethic that Abraham lived by? Or what, what, what set of moral values did Abraham live by? Because he didn't have the law. And he's described as faithful because he was told to go somewhere and he went. But in terms of his moral, you know, outlook about what's right and wrong, um, yeah, w- what did Abraham think? Uh, that's one question. The other question that I've been wrestling with is, um, what was Abraham's understanding of eternal life? Did Abraham know about eternal life? Did he think about eternal life? Um, Because I was thinking about it, like, if I was Abraham, if I was a shepherd man with sheep and stuff, and I heard a voice and saying to me, um, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you a great family, and through your family, in generations to come, they will bless the world. If I didn't believe in eternal life, you know, I would be kind of like, Okay, <laughs> that's cool. I'll take it. I'll take the land. I'll take the family, and that's great. It'll be a blessing. But, but like, you know, I don't care that much <laughs> because if I die and, and that's it, uh, then what do I care? I, I just I don't know if Abraham thought like that. Like, that's, that's um, you know, modern kind of apologists, de- like, arguing against, a- like, an atheist atheistic worldview would say what's the point of anything if when you die that's it i wonder if ancient people thought like that do you know what i mean mm-hmm. anyway so i want i want to read um genesis 17 verses 3 to 14 um it says this so abraham uh, abram fell face down uh, and god said to him Uh, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. 
For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And and this is uh, Abraham's end of the bargain. Then God said to Abraham, verse 9, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, uh, the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you must be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, uh, those who are not your offspring. Um, so it seems like it's not like if you ask me, is circumcision moral or immoral? I'd probably say circumcision is amoral. It, do, it has no morality. Um, it is just a, an act of obedience to God. But in and, of, in and of itself, you ask the average person, is cutting the foreskin, is that um, evil or is that good? People would be like, it's, it's a nothing, you know? Um, it's just like a biological uh, thing. Anyway, um, I also want to read uh, Genesis 18, 18 to 19. So Genesis 18, 18 to 19, um, God says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what is promised him. So there seems to be this condition that Abraham must direct his children in a certain way. He must raise his children in a certain way. And he must teach them to uh, keep the way of the Lord, which is described as doing what is right and just. But I do like, again, it comes back to what is right and just in Abraham's worldview? How would he know? And how, and how do we know what Abraham thought was uh, right and just? Um, now, eventually, we'll probably, you probably want to bring up the Hebrews 11 thing, um, talking about Abraham. But I just want to ask you, James, like, do you have any thoughts about that? And, you know, um, do we get any sense of Abraham's moral values from Genesis, do you think? And uh, whether he saw beyond the promise of land to something um, after life? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I remember, like, really, do you remember a few years ago at, at church we were doing the a series through Exodus? Um, I, I just remember through that whole series, the big question I had on my mind was, did they have any conception of heaven? Mm. What, did, they, did they have any conception of, you know, you die and then you go to heaven, that sort of thing? Mm. Uh, that's sort of the Old Testament help, or is that something that's new? Um and I think that the answer is uh, no. That wasn't that wasn't the hope that they had. And in fact, it's not the ultimate hope that that we have in the New Testament. It's not about um, you die and then something goes to heaven, right? the The hope for the Old Testament was that God's people would be gathered in God's place with God um, to live in prosperity. Now, what exactly that looks like, you know, does that mean that you live forever? Does that mean I'm not sure if what, what they had as a conception there, but that's also the same hope that we should have in the new Testament. It's not about dying physically and then some you know spirit goes to heaven. The ultimate hope we have is that one day Jesus will return and God's people will be gathered together um, in the new creation with Jesus in a physical embodied, renewed, perfected. Mm. And so I think there's a continuity there that we can often miss. I found what you just said about the apologist thing so fascinating because I think that, I think that you are, um, you're right, that it's actually a very Western way of thinking that, you know, oh, if we're just going to die and there's no eternal, then what's the point? 
Like, I don't think that's a biblical way of reasoning for it. Mm. Now, you know, there are hints of that in Ecclesiastes, like the idea that, you know, life is fleeting, you know, you're here one moment, you're gone the next, like there's a meaninglessness to it. Like, I think there are, there are hints of that. But yeah, this idea that, you know, um, like did, did Abraham have this sense of, you know, you die and then you live forever. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, and I don't, I'm, I'm inclined to say maybe, no, I, I don't think so. Mm. Now, that being said, it's worth saying that part of the way we understand the Bible is that it's a, the, the theological term is the pro- a progressive revelation. Like, well, um, as the revelation of God has continued, we get more and more of the picture. Mm. Sense that in, 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 we, we know more than Abraham did, which is crazy to say, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. More. Yeah, but it's also just it's su- it's such a curiosity to me, like how how what Abraham's mentality would have been if he'd received revelation, verbal revelation from God, and yet had no, uh, I guess, certainty about life after death. Maybe even no thought for it. Now he, you know Hebrews eleven talks about um, Abraham. Um, you know, Hebrews 11, 8 to 19 talks about by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as, as an inheritance, obeyed and went. Um, and then, and then later it says, um, uh, all these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, um, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, um, People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Um, uh, Verse 16, Hebrews 11, 16 is so interesting. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. What does that mean? Do you know what I mean? And it shows up a few times in chapter 11, doesn't it? I mean, you look at verse 10. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to uh, this city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Mm. Um, there's another one in chapter 11 somewhere as well, on a similar train, this idea that, that the faith was looking forward to a, a future land, a future place to dwell. And this is interesting, isn't it? Like, you you, you and I didn't know we were going to talk about Joel and, and Genesis. And like, yeah, no. Land. It's, it's pretty important here, isn't it? Mm, totally. Yeah, I, I can't find the, the, the other one here. But yeah, there is um, this idea of, of a greater land um that's what they were looking forward to Mm. and so like back to that uh, apologetic argument that i i totally i agree with the logic presented that if there is no afterlife then there is a real sense of meaninglessness to you know we can create our own you you know we can generate meaning but it's fake meaning it's a it's a thing. It's a fake backpack. It's still a backpack, but it's fake. It's not as it's not as good. I'm gonna pretend that it's the thing. Um, like, I'm wondering if if Abraham, if the if the ancient Israelites didn't have a sense of uh, life after death, does that weaken that apologetic argument, or are we we having that argument? supposed to look on the ancient Israelites with pity and say it's a shame they didn't have that as part of their worldview uh, and I guess like attached to this question is when did the conception of eternal life come now if it came with Jesus if if when Jesus comes and says whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life if that was the very first time that they had an idea of eternal life, that's quite something. But I don't think it is. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a, a new idea with Jesus. But I can't pinpoint mm. where it would have become part of the, the Jewish psyche. Yeah. Well, I guess two thoughts that came to mind then. First of all is to say that eventually what happens with sort of Hebrew cosmology is there's this idea of Sheol, um, and this idea of um, a, a place at Abraham's side. Um, 
uh, I remember reading about like how what ends up happening in sort of Hebrew cosmology and understanding is that you've got Sheol, which is the place of the dead where the righteous and the unrighteous go. And there's this um, um, like Abraham's side or Abraham, like this idea of being near, which then Jesus picks up on in Luke 16 with his parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Like there is this idea. I don't know where it is though. So to mm. I don't know if Abraham had that yet, you know? Um, I do think that ends up developing throughout the Old Testament. And you get places like in Daniel um, and Ezekiel, like Ezekiel 37, 38, Daniel um, 10, 11, 12, on this idea of future resurrection hope. Like that's there. Mm. You get it towards the end of the Old Testament. Did Abraham have that? I'm not sure. But the second thing is in Genesis chapter 5, you get a weird hint where Enoch, let me read this, verse 21, this is Genesis 5, 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Verse 24, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Mm. So as early as Genesis 5, at least, there is this understanding of something of like, being taken away to be with God, which then, you know, like Elijah has this picked up later in, in two Kings where he's sort of swept up into heaven. I even thinking I might be wrong about this. I think there's somewhere in Deuteronomy towards the very end where there's something about like Moses um, and his body. Um, anyway. Yeah. But no, 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 that's, that's Jude reflecting on, on what happens in Deuteronomy. Never mind. But there does seem to be this idea of going to be with God yep. as early as Genesis 5. Mm. There's that question you asked as well, like what, what does Abraham sort of use for his moral compass? Like how does he determine what's good and that? Like, I'm not sure. I don't know. Like, w- w- I mean, you know, if hypothetically, if Moses could travel back in time to Abraham show him the Ten Commandments and the law and say, Abraham, does this all sound good to you? Like, I wonder if Abraham would have been like, oh, yeah, that's that's perfect. Or whether Abraham would have been like, oh, like, <laughs> that's not what I live by, but sure, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's that interesting part in Romans too that talks about, like, Gentiles who, even though they don't have the law, they by nature do what the law requires. They show that the, the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Like there is this thing in, in understanding the Bible that sort of says God's law and God's word does explicitly show us God's moral will. But even people who don't know God's word, even people who don't know God's law, there is some sense because we're image bearers of God, because we we bear the fingerprints of God, that that people who have had no access to Christian and Jewish Jewish teaching are able in some way, shape, or form to, to find the good. Mm. Um, that, that might be something there, but yeah, like the question still remains like, what was it that Abraham knew? And even then, like what we see in Abraham's story is he's a bit of a scumbag as well. Like he's not doing the right thing. He's, mm. can, I, can I say I have a theory as well? Yeah, yeah. I love this. Love theory. theory. <laughs> Genesis chapter 12. Where the Lord says, verse 1 to Abram, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Then you got verses 2 to 3, where blessings and promises. Verse 4 is very interesting, isn't it? So Abram, what Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Mm. I've... I've my theory, I've wondered this for a while. It's very striking, isn't it? It says, and Lot went with him. It's like Abraham went with God and Lot went with Abraham. Yes. Almost. But it also means that, I, I wonder if it means Abram disobeyed in one sense, verse one as well, because he didn't leave all of his father's household. Ah. And Lot only brings trouble. <laughs> so... Like, I wonder if the author of Genesis is, is actually pointing something out here that foreshadows like the trouble that Abram ends up having with Lot. Because even though he does obey God, big picture, with out and trusting the promises, even there at the beginning, we get this hint that he isn't fully 
like obedient and and so his like him receiving the promises cannot be because he's like hot stuff you know he's awesome he's great he fully obeys and everything anyway that, that's my theory. that's interesting that's an interesting theory it does say your father's household yes and it says your but it does say your people so I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. That, it does is, the fact is there that something there? Do you think? Uh, maybe I don't. I don't know. I'm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, as we're getting more and more um, off track, what about this? Okay, are you oh, ready for God. this? Oh, I'm good. I'm good and ready. Go for it. So in Genesis twenty twenty two, verse twenty three, it says that uh, Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Now, Bethuel is Nahor's son, and Nahor is Abraham's brother, and Rebekah marries Isaac, Abraham's son. So Isaac marries Rebekah, who is actually his niece. Yes. Or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're we're well off the beaten track now. It's interesting. Yeah, it's it is. Yeah, yeah. If you if if you Wikipedia the like Abraham's family line, yes. there's a lot of there's a couple of bits of incest going on. A couple of bits of uh, thing you know stuff happening. It's a it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's my uh, deep insight into the uh, genealogies. <laughs> um. Yes. Yes. Now I'm wondering. Do you want to play Bible Guess Who? I do. I do want to play Bible Guess Who. And um, I have someone for you to guess if you wanted to, or if you wanted to ask me. I, I, I'm happy to... Uh, I don't know where we're up to, but I'm happy to, um, to guess. You're happy to guess. If, that's, if you've got someone lined up, I'm happy to guess. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, so t- 20 questions. 20 questions, listeners. Are you playing along from home? It's time for Bible Guess Who. Pip's guessing. Okay, I've got 20 questions to get the character. Question number one, uh, is this person mentioned in the New Testament? Yes. Is this person mentioned in the Old Testament? No. Uh, Is this person a male? No. Is this, okay, is this person uh, mentioned in the Gospels? No. Is this person mentioned in Acts? Yes. Is this person mentioned outside of Acts? Yes. Ooh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, is this person related to Jesus? No. Is this person related to any of the 12 disciples? I don't know. Okay, interesting. Could yeah, it's a yeah. Um, is this person a follower of Jesus? Can you clarify the question, please? Do you mean follower as in they were traveling around with him, or do you mean follower as in they are a Christian? Is is there any explicit uh, evidence to suggest that they were Christian, that they believed in Jesus? Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Hmm. All right. Uh, does this person show up uh, in the first two chapters of Acts? No. Okay, interesting. Ten questions. They got ten questions left, Pip. Okay. Was this person an Israelite? I don't know. Okay, interesting. I, say, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Um, does this person have any, uh, does this, does this person teach? Yes. Okay. 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 Now here's the thing. Here's my confession. I can't remember if Aquila is a boy's name or a girl's name, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure about Priscilla. (laughs) As a that sounds like a girl's name to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like I'm just trying to imagine you going through your mind palace. Like, mm, yep, checks out, checks out. 
Yes. No, no, no. I should know that, shouldn't I? Um, I am... Uh, okay, so here, I'm just going to say some girls' names that I know from the Bible. There's, I know there's Phoebe is one, there's Rhoda, there's uh, Priscilla, there's uh, um, maybe Aquila, I don't know. Um, I'm just going to, James, I'm going to go for a guess. I don't even care if I'm wrong. Is it Priscilla? Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and can you confirm, is this Aquila a guy or a girl? Aquila's a guy. Priscilla and Aquila are presumably a husband and wife pair. Okay, presumably. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know we we're presuming things about the Bible. It's like Priscilla and Aquila, they're just two sisters who travelled around. And they could have been. Yeah, it could be Aquila. I'm pretty sure Aquila was Priscilla's husband. Aquila is quite effeminate, if it is a guy's name. You have like a whole list of guys' names who you think are actually quite effeminate. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's on the wall. Um, yeah. Like Chris. This could be quite effeminate. That's very effeminate. Yes, yes. Um, uh, Taylor. Taylor's quite an effeminate. Um, Shannon. Shannon. There you go. Yes. <laughs> there you go. I, I have been. I've been working on my words. Uh, just working on my um vocabulary during lockdown, James. Have I told you this? Greek and Hebrew. No, you see, every day I've been learning a new word. So that I, I can expand my vocabulary so that my speech is more ostentatious. Oh, you mean English? Yes. Dude, I downloaded a word of the day app myself. Oh, did you? Yeah, did you? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, James, James. <laughs> James, I'm teeing, I'm teeing myself up for a joke, all right? Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, go, go, go. All right, listen to this. Every day I've been learning a new word so that I can expand my vocabulary so that my speech is more ostentatious. And today's word is expand. (laughs) (laughs) But you actually have been learning a new word every day. (laughs) I'm sorry. What What is your word today, James? The word of today is, uh, according to the app that I've got, is the word bilk, B-I-L-K. Bilking someone for their money. Yeah, which I knew already. But yesterday's one was, I, I have not heard this one from yesterday. You ready? Oniomania. Oniomania. Do you know what that word means? Oniomania. Wait, On- let, me, um, let, me, let me play the voice. Maybe I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. Give me a second. Onya mania. Can you spell it for me? <laughs> We're doing a spelling bee. Uh, o n i n o. Wait, sorry. O yeah. Onio. O n i o. And then mania. Okay. All right. Is it? Um, is it like when there's an onion frenzy? <laughs> Is it when people are really into onions? It's like onyomania. <laughs> no, it's an obsessive or uncontrollable urge to buy things. Ah. Uh... Which, Pip, I suspect you get the onyomania every now and then. Oh, every now and then I get a bit of onyomania. Who doesn't? <laughs> Who doesn't? Same, 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 same. Anyway. Sorry, I, I ruined your lead-up for the joke. No, 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 that's fine. That's That makes it even better. Um, <laughs> I've been, I've been um, in lockdown, I've been um, making a few memes and a few uh, on my Instagram, I've been put, uh, putting a few business, business ideas. ideas. Uh, I love them. I've, I've, you... I've voted yes every single time. Thank you. Uh, we need more people like you. Um, did you <laughs> Tell see us the about one? some of them. So the one today that I posted, I don't know if you've seen it, Wake I Up I saw call. it, the alarm clock. I was thinking, because this morning I slept in a bit, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if I could record, because no one's, I feel like I'm good at pumping myself up. Like, if I could record a message for myself and say, These, this is why you need to get up at 7am. <laughs> do, do you want to, like, be an absolute sluggard for the rest of your life? No. You want to be someone who kills it, day in, day out. And so, you know, you might think you, you need the 20 minutes. No one needs 20 minutes extra sleep. No one needs 20 minutes extra sleep, okay? You'll survive. 
get up and get going. Okay. If I could listen to that, if that was my alarm and it like was a phone call and I could answer it and I was forced to listen to it on um, Thingo, that'd be hectic. There you go. Are you the sort of person who like your alarm goes and self wakes up before you do? Um, that's been known to happen <laughs> from time to time. I, I yeah. like when I've got to get up and go, I'm very disciplined. Like, you know, uh, having to get up and, and get on a train and go to uh, Newtown for college, like, I'm not, I'm not late. Yeah, but, I gotcha. But when I can, like, just slip into a Zoom meeting at, like, 8.10, yeah, that's tempting. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Have you been watching anything or reading anything outside of, um, like, the, the set stuff you need to read or watch? Um, I've been, uh, like, in the break, in the whole, <laughs> like, in the break before semester started, I knew that we were going to be doing church history um, this term. So I've got like a Google sheet where like I'm trying to collect data where it's like one column is year and, you know, year started, year end, and it's like who and it's like and then what do they do. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to come up with a list of events in church history that I can memorize like names and, and books and stuff like that, um, which is yeah. And I've just been like on Wikipedia a lot because like you can learn you can learn a whole lot just from Wikipedia just in terms of like raw facts. And so I've been trying to commit some church history stuff to memory. Nice. Um, and I've been watching The Simpsons. Nice. Uh, which on, is, Plus. Yeah, yeah. Which has been uh, very nostalgic because <laughs> I grew up on The Simpsons. Did you watch The Simpsons growing up? I did. I did. I was one of those people who did and I got the references and then some of my other friends didn't because they were told they weren't allowed to watch it. Uh, yes. Yes. Soph wasn't allowed to watch it growing up. Yes. So I remember her telling me that. Yeah. 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 You have a favorite episode? Um, I don't, I don't know. There's so many that like blur together. Um, I really enjoyed the horror, all the kind of horror episodes. The one where like donut, uh, Homer eats a donut, sells his soul, eats a donut, goes to hell and in, in hell... And then it's like, they're just putting the donuts in hell. Um, yeah. Um, eat all the donuts in hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and the demon is like getting really confused. He's like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, what about you, James? Have you been uh, watching anything or reading anything else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, in terms of TV, uh, yeah, just been watching The Office in my own time. And Viv and I are about to finish The West Wing. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, so it's Viv's first time. We're three episodes away from the end of season seven. It's been really great watching it again. It goes downhill when Matt Santos oh. comes. Oh, oh, spoilers. <laughs> Wait, what? Didn't did you say you've got three episodes left? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. No, no, no. I watched it. I know. I'm talking about some of our listeners who may not have watched it. Oh, that, that name won't mean anything to them. I <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Hey, by the way, this is so funny. Matt Santos's son, when we were watching it, I'm like, oh my goodness. That looks like Nathan. Like Sam's Nathan. Yep. He totally looks like Nathan. I told Sam and Sam just laughed. And he's like, I gotta go back and look at it. Um, it's true. But, uh, yeah, I've been playing some games. I downloaded Warzone, by the nice. way. Nice. I might, I might join you guys by in playing at some point. That's very exciting. That'll be great. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to see you deal with, like, 12-year-old trash talkers. Just, like, <laughs> just like, tra- just, like slamming you, how you'd respond. <laughs> I feel like you'd, you'd be the, the kindest person to enter a Call of Duty server. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do when you're getting trash talked? Um, I don't know. I I never I never dish anything out. Sometimes I'll you know, I'll have a word or two, but not but nothing <laughs> nothing offensive, you know. Good stuff. Yeah, I I, I platinumed um like hundred percent in two games on PS Five during leave. Control, really really good, and Spider Man Miles Morales. Um, but I was reading three books. Uh, I read three books on leave. Um, actually, I did want to just do a plug. You know, we get no money or sponsorship. 
listeners, if you do want to offer us, but we we could we're willing to accept it. If you're listening, wrong, <laughs> you can email us at thebibleboys with a z at gmail dot com. You can also ask any questions or um, re- recommend any guests to characters. Uh, but um, one of the books I was reading uh, is called uh, "Something's Not Right" by a guy named Wade Mullen. Let me just show the the book. It's right here um, on camera. So. Something's not right. Decoding the hidden tactics of abuse and freeing yourself from its power. Um, guy who's done a PhD into just sort of looking at, he looked at over a thousand cases of church abuse, um, uh, and, and looking at like different tactics that leaders uh, have used to, to oppress, control, uh, misuse their authority. Uh, it's a really scary book, to be honest, to read, but I think it was a very important one um, for me to like just sort of learn a bit about, yeah, like what's what's happened in the past, some pitfalls, why character matters so much more than competency when it comes to leadership. But the plug I wanted to give wasn't just for the book, which is uh, pretty good to read, but it's for a podcast that started just a few weeks ago called uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Have you heard of this, Pip? Is this like Matri School's church? Or it's about, it... yeah, the one that he had started and, and that um, sort of closed about five, uh, six or seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. Is, is there a, a book or a paper on it? So it's a, it's a podcast series. Oh, okay. Yeah, so The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's really well produced and it's a, it's more than just a story of, um, if some of you know, the... the um, Minister uh, Mars, uh, sorry, Mark Driscoll. It's actually a bit of a story about American evangelical church culture and what led to booms in in church growth and sort of the trends and whatnot and sort of all the factors that have been around um, uh, protecting um, uh, abusive behavior in in churches, uh, tactics that were used, the effects that it's had on people. Um, It's just a really fascinating sort of, series i don't know how many episodes it's going to be it's three episodes right now the fourth one should come out today um, the rise and fall of mars hill just a really sobering insightful um uh, a look so i'd recommend that pip i think you'd enjoy listening to it as well especially episode three has a lot on well two and three has a lot on like sort of what was going on in, in church growth discussion and thinking about demographics and trends and, and how you engage your community so Really interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I'd love to listen to that. I, I used to listen to a lot of Mike Driscoll when I was young in the faith, like um, in high school. Um, and I found at the time, like I was learning heaps and I was like really pumped up by his sermons. Um, in hindsight, I do wonder if all all of it was helpful. Um, and, and I'm sure that it, it was you know, a lot of it was helpful, but it was probably a, a mixed bag. Um, but I'm very interested uh, in in the topic because it is, you know, um, it's it's right to be concerned about church growth and to desire the church to grow, but it's also a dangerous desire, mm. um, and it can lead to pitfall pitfalls like the ruthless uh, pursuit of growth. So. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, it's things are rarely ever, you know, uh, that ministry or that person was totally bad and nothing they did was good. No, it's, um, there are, there are lots of good things that happened through this story. A lot of these people did good, but it's also important that we bring things to the light and recognize that our God, um, uh, cares about our holiness. He cares about truth. And um, that we can't let um, misuses of power to be perpetuated and to, to, to continue on. And, and for you and me, as we're trying to grow and be trained for, uh, for, for vocational ministry, we need to make sure that we are using our power and influence to, to build people up rather than tear people down. Mm. Well put. All right. Well, Pip, I think that should be it for another week of The Bible Boys. Um, thank you for... Uh, joining me once again, Pip, as we go on this in and wacky adventure mm. podcast land. Do you want to give a, like a final word as we uh, sign out? 
Keep reading your Bibles during lockdown. If, if you haven't read your Bible in a while, pick it up, get reading, start, uh, you know, read Genesis or read a gospel. Uh, challenge yourself during lockdown. Um, it's, a, it's a good thing to do. It's an important thing to do as Christians to be in the Word uh, each day. Um, so whether you're a Bible boy or a gospel girl, I <laughs> <laughs> hope you found this helpful and entertaining. Right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week as we continue Season 6 of The Bible Awards. Bye.